You know, Bill, there's one thing I've learned in all my years. Sometimes you gotta say, what the fuck? Hey everybody, welcome to Real Ripe and Real Rotten. This is the podcast where we're taking a look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood artists. And each month we're going to be using Rotten Tomatoes to determine the best and worst film in one individual's filmography. You can listen along, let us know your thoughts about it. We're talking about Tom Cruise this month. We talked about Cocktail, which is at 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. And now we're going to the heights of Tom Cruise, which is Risky Business, which I think is at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. But Clay, this is Clay. I'm Wes. And Clay, hey how guys. are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing well. You got done watching Risky Business uh, this, today, I guess, judging by the tweet or the uh, text you sent me. Yes, yes. Before that, I was ignorant, and they could smell it like <laughs> dog shit. <laughs> I have to say, this movie is is actually very quotable, which I was not really expecting. But. Yeah, yeah. I think the um that li- that line is considered to be one of the top made into like the top one hundred quotes. Or sometimes you just gotta say, "Who gives a fuck?" What what the yeah. fuck? That line. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta say, "What the fuck." Mm-hmm. Um, it is an AFI's 100 years list. So anyway, if you guys don't know, Risky Business is a 1983 American rom-com film. I feel romantic comedy is the wrong way to describe it. Written and directed by Paul Brickman, who makes his directorial debut. And I believe it's his last direction to directing credit. Um, it stars Tom Cruise and Rebecca De Mornay. It launched Tom Cruise to stardom. So, Clay, I, I think that a good place to start talking about Risky Business is that Risky Business is unlike any of the other movies that we've seen so far in that I had a different reaction while I was watching it. Um, I was, I started off watching this movie and it took me a while to realize what kind of a movie it was. And I was actually less impressed when I thought it was more just a straight up 1980s rom-com. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was approaching it from that kind of perspective and by the end of it, it had totally switched it around on me because I realized what kind of movie that they were actually making. And the way that I was watching it before with the rom-com filter on had me sort of picking up on all these weird choices that they were making and saying, like, why are they doing this? I don't really know if this, this movie's any good. I don't know if this is holding up. Like, why are these characters doing this kind of stuff? And why, you know, for instance, why Tom Cruise gets this hooker over and Tom Cruise is a high school kid right mm-hmm, who's supposed mm-hmm. to be some, like somewhat uh, highfalutin but maybe not too successful and he basically fucks like a porn star like when he yeah. brings when he brings the girl over and i was like why why is this happening like why is this being written this way it all changes once you start to realize which took about halfway for me that it's a basically a very dark satire of uh growing up and yeah. it, the movie got a lot better once I realized that. And I really like the ending, although um, I don't know if you watched the alternate ending or the true ending, uh, but we can get to that when we get to it. But what were your general thoughts about Risky Business? Um, yeah, this one was, was kind of weird. I don't know if, if it ever really kind of cracked through with me um, <clears throat> because, yeah, I, the the first maybe 20 minutes of it or so, it just felt like a fairly standard 80s teen comedy uh, that was maybe had better actors in it than they usually do. Like, I thought Booger was really good, and I thought Balky was great. <laughs> yeah. um, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, I, I think I think some of it might be I just don't really like young Tom Cruise because of the same thing we were talking about in Cocktail, where he just feels, he feels like a blank mask. Yep. And anytime that I see him doing, like, sex stuff it kind of creeps me out 
<laughs> because he seems he seems like he's such a uh, an a sexual kind of just like thing. Yeah, that it's 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 weird to see Tom Cruise being like romantic and and like having sex with people. It's just yeah, weird for yeah. Me. He, he's not he's not a um. See, I, I thought that I agree with you, and I thought that his performance here was very similar to Cocktail's performance, yeah. except for the fact that because this is such a satire, his sort of vapid acting style fit the material better mm-hmm. on some way. Like he is, he's almost not supposed to be a real person in this. Right. And, and I think that the characterization and the actor uh, combination there works well because Cruz as his acting style always comes across as someone who's trying to impress other people. Beautiful place you got here, Ralph. Is this all yours? My folks, actually. Do you know what it's worth? Uh, A lot, probably. Oh, yeah. Real estate? It's fabulous. Look, Lana, my name really isn't Ralph. Um... It's Joel. <laughs> Only $300, Joel. And that's kind of what the Joel character is doing this entire movie. And I thought it fit really well. And as we we're saying, it's surprising that Tom Cruise's highest and lowest are both so clear uh, from the same generation of his life. They're, uh, actually, they're actually not that f- different from each other either. No. I, my, my quote going into it was that... Uh, to get sort of highfalutin, Cocktail is a movie where I think Risky Business is a film, if you want to make that distinction. Um, right. I liked Risky Business. I thought it was good. But yeah, go ahead. I didn't mean to uh, interrupt you. You said they oh, were no. similar. No, yeah. I, I feel like they're they're pretty similar. And I, I that might just be representational of the time in which they were made. Um because they're both kind of they're both kind of about like uh uh young entrepreneurs who are just who are all about, or kind of all about business, or at least that's kind of that aspect is there, there, and they end up doing things, uh, being successful in ways that they're not expecting to. That's different from the norm and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think I think the difference being is that cocktail plays it pretty straight, whereas this one is definitely kind of taking a shot at that. And it's interesting because uh, cocktail takes place. It, it was from a, a few. Was that eighty seven? Yes, I think so. And to have Risky Business kind of taking a shot at that mentality so early into the 80s is uh, is is pretty impressive, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. It's weird that, that it went backwards. You, you, the cocktail almost feels like the earlier film type, you know? And then yeah. And then this comes along and sort of satirizes Cocktail on some level, but it actually went the other way around. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I, I don't know. I, I guess the, the satire aspect didn't stand out as much with me. Um, there were some really interesting choices like that. <laughs> I, I I was starting to think like what's wh- what's going on here specifically during that that sex scene because it's with the, like with the door mo- blows open. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean clearly they're making some choices here. Um, and then they have this montage of uh them having sex in like the most uncomfortable places you could possibly ever have sex. <laughs> yeah, the back of uh, Volkswagen. Yeah. Yeah, and they they have this. Uh, oh, oh no, I, I was talking um, on the stairs, like the, the hardwood stairs, yeah, the hardwood, and, and then in a big, really oversized chair, his gamer chair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I noticed that they there's this trend of uh, any time that there's something 
quote-unquote like adult with a capital A in it, like any sort of action involving him or even uh, Rebecca De Mornay, they they always like cut in a shot of like a baby picture. Yeah, and it was it was really interesting because it it does kind of take away from any sort of like excitement of the scene. It does. Um, yeah. Yep. And it yeah, and it, it's a really interesting way to uh, to comment on on. I guess growing up, I guess to an extent, I, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what the what the what they were trying to say, but it does it does definitely make you kind of like take a step back from what you're watching and go like, oh yeah, these 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 are these are kids, and it's yeah, it a removes weird, weird it part of their life, removes the eroticism from it, like yeah, it, and it's a it's a pretty hot sex. Like Rebecca De Mornay is gorgeous, uh, yeah, basically. So and, and Tom Cruise is awkward as all hell in it, but it's like <laughs> the the. The sex scene is pretty intense, mostly because I feel like we don't really have sex scenes like that in movies anymore. Mm. And the way that, you know, they they smash it back by showing you the pictures of the kids to show you that my understanding of what this movie is saying is that he is a child until he has sex. And sex is the thing that sort of vaults him into adulthood by indirect means. Um, and so the symbolism of that is to show that that's his sort of, you know, that's the transitional period that he's gone through and that everything's going to be different from that you know i i would say i think my reading might be a little bit different i think i think it might be more for me that he's it's symbolic of him kind of getting in over his head yes because it seemed because he's that's basically what happens to him is it seemed he seems like he's got it all figured out he thinks he knows what's going on he thinks he knows uh how he's gaming the system but He's he's really being gamed by himself the entire time. Yeah, well, I, I think that ties into the the becoming adult. What the movie's saying is about becoming adult is when you realize that life is kind of unfair on some level. Like yeah. the, the things start to. He no longer has his parents giving him everything, and he's just having a, a great time partying by himself, and like nothing can go wrong for him. After he has sex, everything conspires against him, and he realizes that in order to succeed he needs to screw back against life on some way. Like he needs mm. to fight back against it. Right. And that's where the darkness of the ending comes from because you realize that, well, the, the, we'll get to the, which ending did you see? Did you see the ending where they're in the park with each other at the very end? Yeah. Okay. So that's the theatrical ending, um, which I still thought was good. There's an alternate ending where the last scene is them in the restaurant right before that. And, Instead of cutting to the park, he sort of summons her over to sit on his lap and she sits on his lap and they have a similar last line about like, my name is Joel. Um, you know, I made $8,000 in one night. Uh, and then he has some line about like, here's looking at you kid or something. He says something mm -hmm. like that. They have the similar mon They have a similar line reading, except he says something uh, more negative about it at the end. And it's a little bit darker of an ending. It's a little bit more ambiguous. And I, I think it all kind of piles into that uh, aspect. And the reason that Does, the... Oh, I was just going to say, do, do they still cut it in with the uh, young entrepreneurs sequence at the end? Yes, they do. Okay, yep. okay. So it, it's I, all... Well, I was just going to say, because I actually really like that. Um, I like that ending because that was... that was I, th I felt like that was the, the, the most... Uh, the clearest satire moment for me was was that sequence at the end where they're cutting back to the young entrepreneurs thing <laughs> yeah. and showing how ridiculous these 
these these contraptions that people are selling to make five hundred bucks yes. are yeah. compared to you know the the actual ways of 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 the world work how these these kids are kind of wasting their time uh doing the the their perceived idea of what you know uh, business business is versus what it really is yes yeah i, I mean i the 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 ending scene with those kids is funny to me because do you watch uh, shark tank uh i have in the past but not really yeah i only watch it every once in a while and like shark tank is funny because to like as someone who has like no real sort of like economically socialist views who thinks like oh, like I generally like capitalism and generally that it's like led to better things listening to people pitch products on Shark Tank makes me ardently so angry against consumerism and capitalism <laughs> because it's like you know, you know imagine if we used all if these people used all their energy to something productive on some level like instead of just making i think one of the things in the film is like a napkin holder or something that dispenses <laughs> the napkins and it's such a i enjoy the fact that the film smashes those things together because it does kind of show you the the cheesy aspect that's a part of consumerism if you really just kind of describe it as to what it is and what mm-hmm. people are building and buying from each other and it pairs it off against the as you say, the realization of what Tom Cruise has at the very end of the movie. Yeah, and it actually, again, it is it is kind of similar to Cocktail in that both of these characters are are put think think they are are doing the right thing by going along the lines of 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 what society is in 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 his in his case in, in risky business. His parents are saying. The the route they the, that they're being told they should take through you know going to classes about business and going to school and all this kind of stuff, but <clears throat> it's only when they decide to do their own thing and really put their boots on the ground, so to speak, is when they become successful. Yeah. Uh, in cocktail, it's it's a fairly literal thing, and in this one, it's a you know a tongue in cheek kind of dark, dark ironic sort of thing. Yeah. I'll just I'll read the quote now so people don't get upset. But the, the real quote is at the end of the movie, my name is Joel Goodson. I deal in human fulfillment. I grossed over $8,000 in one night. Time of your life, huh, kid? The alternate ending has him say, uh, the, in the, they dine at the same restaurant, have a similar conversation. Was our night together just a setup? He asks Lana, and she says no, then adds, why does this have to be so tough? He summons her to come over and sit on his lap, which she does. The camera pulls back to reveal a stunning view of Lake Michigan. While she's on his lap, the couple embrace, and Joel's voiceover is exactly the same. He says, my name is Joel Goodson. I deal in human fulfillment. I grossed over $8,000 in one night, except it ends with, isn't life grand? A sort of sarcastic yet subtle and ambiguous ending. Um, so they're not totally different from each other. Apparently, the director had such a difficult time going with the studio ending, which is the one that's theatrical, that he basically gave up on Hollywood at that point. Wow. Um it doesn't seem that different where I'd be sort of holding my guns and never wanting to work on things again, but right. it, it's interesting anyway. And I think that going back to it, the movie, the thing that sort of revealed what the movie was to me, because I was watching with these 2018 eyes and after Tom Cruise meets with uh, Rebecca de Mornay and there's like all these scenes with the prostitutes, right? I was thinking of a modern sensibility, how odd it was that they don't comment on the prostitution angle, really. Like the, the them being prostitutes is almost incidental to everyone mm-hmm. else in the movie. Like they don't comment on it. You don't really see, you see the pimp, which is a uh, almost unrecognizable Joey Pantaleone, yeah. uh, Joey, Joey Pants. And uh, 
you, you don't really see that negative of an aspect of it. They're having a lot of sex. There's no disease or anything. There's no sort of broken emotions. There's no problems with anything that's going on. And then I realized that the prostitutes are really just kind of a symbol for things at this point. And that's why the movie doesn't really go into what they're doing there. Job and occupation is really symbolic and really just an ends to a means of creating this uh, event that cascades everything to the other side. Yeah, and they, they keep kind of popping up out of nowhere. I mean, it's, it's apparently yes. really easy to get a lot of prostitutes very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and the, the, uh, your friends have a lot of walking around money that they can just drop on prostitutes. Yeah, everybody's got savings bonds, I guess, that they're <laughs> cashing out to, to sleep with some prostitutes. That was maybe the, the, the part of the movie that hadn't aged all that well, is that uh, saving, you having to go down to the bank and cash out your savings bonds. Is that still money. a thing? Do people still do savings bonds? I don't think so. I think the, no? I think the ROI is so bad that no one really does it anymore. I don't know what people do at this point for uh, like investing for kids and stuff like that. I certainly don't do any of that. Um, I buy uh, <laughs> two. I buy two of every comic book, and I'm I, I, sorry. I buy three of every comic book, and I burn two of them. Right. That's how you drive up the market by creating scarcity. That's exactly right. That's how. That's uh, supply and demand. I think at that point. Yeah, and I think that it's. Um, I, I think that even the the soundtrack in this movie is good in a way that I didn't like the soundtrack to Cocktail. <laughs> this is the yeah. opposite where this had a lot of really good 80s songs in it and they're mm-hmm. all very somber songs. It's the Phil Collins in the air tonight um, is up there. B, it's uh, B plus usage of, of in the air tonight. I don't think it's quite as good as Miami Vice, but it's good. No, yeah, it's definitely not as good. And it's um, it has uh, the tracks are very somber and sort of um, the best kind of I don't want to be that specific, but very like introspective and sort of um, moody atmospheric music. Yeah, they they, they actually kind of fit. They fit the movie better than they did in Cocktail, which was just like, hey, remember the 50s? Yeah, right. (laughs) We've got all these. And I I think that that works. And I thought that, I don't know, this is to me is it's not a movie that I'd really rewatch, but I think that it's very good. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. you maybe, maybe you're a little bit more negative. I, I didn't really have fun watching it, but after I was thinking about it, I was like, yeah, that was, that was a pretty impressive movie on some level. Like it's more, you can understand the sort of hype about Cruz and that director at that point, as opposed to Cocktail, which I wouldn't have understand doing anything. And it obviously didn't. It was terrible. Uh, yeah. The, um, I think talking through it here, is actually making me appreciate it a little bit more. Because uh, I texted you as I was watching it saying that I was pretty bored by it. And I think I think it's because I wasn't really reading it as much more than a 80s comedy, 80s teen sex comedy, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, talking through it, I can see, yeah, I can, I can see why it's a little bit more thoughtful than that. And I um, agree it's not a very good 80s teen comedy. Yeah, I, I still think it feels kind of stiff. Yeah. Um, a lot of the scenes feel stiff. Man, Bronson Pinchot is fucking amazing in this movie. Yeah. He's like, he he doesn't do a lot, but he does a lot in the scenes that he's in. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like when they're when they're putting when they're putting the stuff back uh, at the end and, and they're trying to rearrange the China cabinet and he makes he says the line about you shouldn't mix, mix centuries. <laughs> like oh my god that it's such a, a, a tiny little improv that was just so so damn good. Um. But yeah, but like you know, it it, it feels a little stiff. Um, 
I guess I guess not really much more stiff than these movies felt at the time. I mean, is this really any more stiff than like Fast Times at Ridgemont High or something like that? I don't know. Well, um, I, I feel that it's a little bit. I guess I would describe it as stiff because if you if you watch it with that kind of a mindset, it doesn't come across as particularly trying to make a lot of internal sense. Like it's a little bit um, detached from reality in that way, in the, in yeah. the way that people don't comment on things that happen. It's it doesn't expect these characters to react to their situation in a realistic way, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, it's more thematic than that. Well, yeah. <sighs> I, I was kind of fascinated by the, the choices that they were making because, I mean, y- y- even from the very beginning, they're presenting the story in a not entirely realistic way. Like, the, it's very – it's stylized in a lot of points, like whether it's zooming out of his eyeball or um, that first-person camera shot when he's driving – his their parents are driving to the airport. Like, there's – yeah, it's it is it is sort of I wouldn't say dreamlike, but it is it is not as literal as a lot of these movies ends up being. Um, and at first, I think I just sort of was reading that as oh, here's an interesting way to handle this stuff because I mean the first person thing with the parents was nice because it kind of it, it it does. I, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is it was I wasn't sure if it was trying to go for. Uh, heightened realism of that stuff yeah because the parents are sort of a heightened version of parents who are uh they are overly concerned but also aloof at the same time yes well they are to me and they represent the materialistic thing that tom cruise eventually becomes yeah through this like he like the father is the father opens it by being very upset that he's they've tinkered with his stereo system you know and like they're the whole drive of the movie is about protecting his mother's egg thing, trying to get that egg back. Right. And the egg breaks at the very end. And after all that he, Tom Cruise has gone through, the mother is more just very upset that the egg is cracked. You know, it's all for naught because this good is no longer uh, available to her and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's also, it's, it's, it's very odd. Even the dream sequence at the beginning is very, is very uh, kind of out there. And uh, I guess the dream sequence is sort of indicative of the movie as a whole, a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, you know, let me know what you think about. It. I see. I thought the, I thought the film felt very dream sequency, and yeah. in a way, if you, you could almost convince me if you wrote a good enough essay that this is the younger version of the Tom Cruise from Eyes Wide Shut. Interesting. Okay. You know, what I mean? like that. I got yeah. a similar kind of dreamy vibe from both of them where neither movie feels like it takes place in reality and it's yeah. about this guy's journey. Yeah, I could see that, definitely. Yeah. I yeah, there's Yeah, it, it's it's sort of you know, it, it's it's tough cuz I'm trying to I'm trying to place where without looking it up, where this where this comes out in the history of the like teen sex comedy because those things are usually played very literally and they are very over the top. Um, and unbelievable. And this one is played, there's still a lot of like over the top, unbelievable stuff, 
but it's not presented in an entirely literal way. But at the same time, they don't comment on it at all, like you're saying yeah. about the prostitutes or like the car, uh, the car chase scene is a big yeah, example. Yeah, the car chase scene, or even even something as simple as uh, a- after the the very first scene where he and his friends are playing poker and they're drinking beer and smoking cigars. Yeah, and they're like 16, right? Yeah, and I mean, I guess yeah, that's not are. as I guess that's not as big of a ta- taboo then as it was now, but it still feels kind of weird. Like they're doing. I guess you know. Yeah, I'm liking this more now that I'm talking about it out loud because I think because that scene in and of itself is also them kind of acting like adults. Yes, it's a them because, pretending to be grown up. Yeah, yeah, they've got they're like Balky is terrible at smoking a cigar. He's like <laughs> yeah. just chewed the fuck out of that thing. Sex awkwardly. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's jumping, jumping away. And like I noticed that they go out of their way to have their drinking beer, but there's also like diet soda there too. Yep. So yeah, I, man, yeah, yeah, maybe this movie is really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 one of those weird like it's not a I wouldn't say it's super rewatchable. I wouldn't say that I really enjoyed. I did enjoy. Well, I didn't I didn't mind watching it, but I'm, I'm certainly not one that I'm really going to ever pop on on a whim or like if I catch mm. it midway through on TV, I wouldn't stop and watch it on some level. But I think it's I think it's more clever than. It's almost too subtle for the cleverness of what they're trying to do on some yeah, ways. Yeah, I think maybe that's it. Although, yeah, it's tough because I mean, you know, if it was too, if be... it was more obvious, I might like it less. I suppose. Yeah, like it's not as it's not like a Better Off Dead where it's really like clearly over the top, or like Heather's or something where it's really clearly over the top, and it's like, don't you know that this is? It's like satire with a capital S. Um, yeah. Right. But yeah, when you kind of when you kind of break it down it, it does work pretty well like like the booger's character there uh i'm sorry i shouldn't curtis armstrong that's his name <laughs> um it's just easy shorthand booger and balky are easy shorthands uh he's, he's the although, little curly, for the the young curly people, hair guy yeah for for the for the young people listening to this if there are any those are references that don't make any sense <laughs> um he kind of reminds me of the uh, the ki- the kid with curly hair from Stranger Things on some level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's kind of he's almost like this weird uh, uh, Obi Wan, not Obi Wan, like a Merlin type figure, where he's like smarter than everybody else, and he only kind of appears at moments where Tom Cruise needs like guidance. Yes, and he's <laughs> yeah, giving him right. all this advice that's like very sage like advice, but he doesn't all he also has no experience. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, it's a it's a very it's a really interesting dynamic. I would say I I would say if you watched it once, I would say you could get a, a another viewing out of it just to kind of reassess yes. some of the stuff that's happening. Yeah. Uh but I yeah, this is by no means would be like something I would just throw on every day. I was also thinking I'm actually really surprised that that uh Bob Seger dance sequence became as iconic as it did. Yes, it's kind of uh, it's yes, kind of yeah, weird and kind of goofy, and it's 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 a weird outfit, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's just like it's not it's not particularly. I mean, I guess it, he's still in the kid phase at that point, right? right so right. you're you're probably supposed to view it more as a kid sort of playing dress up with like his daddy's dress shirt and stuff right. like that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely it's obviously oversized. Yes, right, exactly. Yeah. And and he's like the white underwear is kind of diaper like. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's and so it's that kind of thing. I, I wonder if Cruz is the right actor for that. I, that was my only thing that stuck out is like I don't know if Tom Cruise was right for that aspect. Although are we supposed to think it's as awkward as I found it this time and not 
iconic on some level. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I was like, I, I don't. I'm I'm surprised it became such a marker of uh, of reference because like it's not a particularly good scene, right? Like it's not like it's this amazing dance sequence or something like you know. It's just right, or the like camera the, work is so like following. It's not like an amazingly shot sequence or anything. Yeah, I guess the, I guess to be fair, the only thing that gets referenced is the sliding into frame yep. with the with the piano intro which i can see that being fairly iconic but even so it's just i mean it's such a small bit of of the movie that i'm surprised that that stuck stuck out as much as as much as it did yeah yeah and and the i guess maybe the uh, you mentioned the sex on the stairs i'm just realizing now that's kind of the being as that's the turning point having sex on the stairs between the childishness of the lower floor and all the adult conversations he has in his bedroom later on mm-hmm. You mean his bedroom where he has a constantly blinking checks cash sign? <laughs> like no wonder he no wonder he can't sleep. That thing's right above his head. That was the that's actually funny. That's one of my takeaways is that when I was watching it, uh the nights are very long in this movie and you have people have no problem just sort of getting up in the middle of the night and doing something. Like yep. going going off to do something else. Uh he does a lot of sort of wandering around at night and getting up and doing different things while the, the nighttime is surrounding them. Yeah, I, I, I'm always fascinated when movies like, not that they have to, but when it's a when it's nighttime in a movie, you kind of always assume it's late. Yes. And in in a movie like this, and I've seen a lot of other movies do it, where it's like they do a lot of shit. Like it, it seems like it's really late, and then they're like, "Let's go get ice cream." Yeah. Right. And they apparently drive to <laughs> Chicago and go get ice cream in Chicago, which is probably like an hour and a half drive or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure the screenplay says uh, exterior dusk or something like that, yeah, and it's just, yeah. it just doesn't well, come across. even, like, there's one scene that really stood out to me as far as day and night goes is uh, after he gets suspended, uh, his friends are outside waiting for him, and they're at the school, but it's nighttime. And I didn't, I was like, so it... Oh, that's true, is, yeah. Uh, is it... Is it that he was, was he there like doing mock trial or something and he just got out and it's like seven? It's just, it was just a very strange, you would think that that would, that scene would take place like at the end of the school day outside. Right. Yeah. 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 That, that, that is maybe his uh, young entrepreneur meeting went uh, late or something like that. Yeah. The, a couple of those, those weird scenes, like he, he basically strangles the nurse, which is interesting. The, uh, Maybe it's not as interesting in '83 when they did it, but the he the first prostitute he meets is a transvestite male. Um, yeah, I was gonna say surprisingly few uh, cringeworthy jokes. No this. jokes about it. They treat it yeah. totally as. And Tom Cruise isn't really even all that upset. But he's he's more upset that a prostitute has showed up than it's a uh, cross-dressing prostitute. Right. If, if it or maybe transvestite. I don't think. It's and clear I was it. I was honestly surprised, and pardon my language, that nobody called anybody else a fag. Yep. I was very surprised. I was expecting at least one of those. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's a I think that's an indicator of where the material is different for this movie. It's not yeah. that it's not that generic uh rom com y type thing. And I, I was I was surprised by it. They treated it very you know, it was fairly respectful treatment of the material on some level. And Tom Cruise is not Tom Cruise is more bothered that a prostitute has showed up at his parents' house than he is by anything else about that scene. Yeah. Oh, and uh kind of Touching back on the uh, on the doing grown up things before he becomes grown up kind of thing, I I got a good chuckle out of when he sits down to eat dinner and he pours himself like a pint glass full of scotch <laughs> because my dad actually told me about a story about he actually did that he did As the exact kid. same thing yeah like he yeah. Uh, I think he when he went off to college 
uh, he bought like a bottle of whiskey because his dad used to drink whiskey all the time, and he poured himself a, a giant glass of whiskey, and he got so sick that he didn't drink <laughs> whiskey again for like three years or something. That's how that scene should. That's how that scene should have ended. Is with him puking in the toilet for like four hours, <laughs> eating a TV. I like that scene too. I like the uh, the bit that uh, Cruz does. He pulls out like the still frozen dinner, and just eats it like basically like a popsicle. He pulls like the entire thing out and just eats it a uh, whole whole hog there. Which which on the one hand, I was kind of thinking like, dude, you're not seven. You you know how frozen dinners work, but <laughs> you know if it's a still a frozen dinner by the yeah, time you pull exactly. it out of the microwave. But they do follow that up later with him eating with the girls, and they are eating TV dinners that have been cooked. Yes. So He's I made guess progress. That is, yeah, he has made progress. <laughs> She's only kidding. I hope so. Look, Joe, you look like a smart kid. So I'm going to tell you something which I'm sure you'll understand. Now, you're having fun now, right? Right, Joe? Time of your life. And as sluggish you can, and never, ever fuck with another man's livelihood. Now, if you're smart, like I hope you are, you're not going to make me come back here. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, it just it wraps it up by the, um, well, the, the sort of turning point is he realizes that he needs to sell, uh, he can use prostitution to make ends meet. He basically becomes a brothel. Uh, a madam of a brothel. I don't know what the male version of a madam of a brothel would be. I guess a pimp, but um, a madam sounds more Modem. regal. Um, and then he, he has the the Princeton guy come in, which, what would you think of the whole Princeton interview sequence in the context of everything that we've talked about up to this point? Yeah, I liked it. Um, and now that I'm thinking back on it as we've been talking it out, I was like, that's that's actually a really really good scene because it's such a um stereotypical kind of uh teen comedy kind of scene to have uh where you where he's has to meet with the stuffy stuffy college admissions guy while he's throwing a wild party in the background yeah yeah but then to set it and and have it have it go off so like so well even though the the prince even though there's a, like a, a the, the house is now a bordello for the night yeah yeah uh, i thought it was good i thought it was a nice uh it was a it's a good subversion of that kind of thing i think yeah i i think that it would um i think that it works i like the fact that the the interviewer doesn't really bring up what's going on around him yes, in any in yeah. any way he just he kind of watches it and you you don't really sure if he's really on the same level as to what's going on. Eventually it is because he, he sleeps with a couple of the prostitutes that night too. And then ends up giving Tom those, Cruise. Those poor women. <laughs> those poor women. Like the, there's one shot at the end where they are just, there's like five of them sitting on a bench and they are just wiped out. And I was like, yeah, I don't blame you. That's, he says he made $8,000 that night. Is that, yeah. Is that? I wonder if that's after what he paid the girls because yeah, yeah, there was a lot of girls there, and if you're, th- I mean, there's, in order for anybody to come out of that situation with like a decent amount of money, there either had to have been a shitload of guys there, yep, or they had to be charging a shitload of money. <laughs> they don't really comment on it, which might have been in fitting with the material, I guess, if yeah. they had commented, or maybe if they hadn't, but the, the what the the portion that Tom Cruise is. Because Tom Cruise has realized that the way to make money is to sort of maybe break with the ethics of his situation, sort of like he needs to 
they're not really concerned about the ethics, but just about the what it will take to make that amount of money is something that Tom Cruise is willing to cross at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the defeated look on the girls' faces and everything kind of lines up with all of that stuff. And then he meets the uh, Guido character, Joey Pants, who did did Pants have like a bad cocaine habit at this point or something? The actor? Yeah, the, like he he looks so. He's so skinny in this. And it, well, it's not, I mean, yeah. it was also 35 years ago. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm thinking of uh, it was only a, it was a decade after the Matrix, a little bit more than a decade. He, he just looks he looks like he, he uh, he's much younger. It took me a long time to realize it was actually him. Wait, but, a decade after the Matrix? A decade before. Sorry. Oh. A, a little bit more than what's the Matrix? 90. It's probably more than 99. OK, so yeah. 16 years. Never mind. It's almost two decades. But uh, he meets this um, pimp who is basically shows Tom Cruise the the way that you have to proceed, basically, to um, the the way how the corners you have to cut, kind of the the ethics that you get to ignore if you want to be successful and make that money. And uh, he does it by robbing Tom Cruise's house and then selling everything back to him because that is that that could be seen as some sort of metaphor for uh, business on some level, I suppose. Yeah. I uh, do you think uh, you know I, t- I I I did like you know as we've been talking about we're talking about these different themes I did I did like the the undercutting of of Tom Cruise um, in that usually in these movies the uh, the zany scheme ends up working out in everybody's favor and and you know or at least in the favor of the main character yeah and uh, it was nice to see him think that he's got it made but then just get the rug pulled out from under him almost literally. Yes. Um do you think do you think Rebecca De Mornay was in on it? Yes, she yeah. was. And I I think that the the alternate ending clarifies that when she says why is this so difficult because I I don't know if the ending really captures the fact that their relation I think the the walk in the park hints at it because Tom Cruise is being sort of playfully difficult with her by saying like maybe I should charge you. And that kind of thing. I think the real, I think the real theme of that is that he should be seriously telling her, "I should charge you." You know what yeah, I mean? Like, there. Th- oh, go ahead. Well, he he's built her being in on this showed him that even love can be compromised as an adult. Like that's the lesson he learns from it, and it sort of hardens him to a point, and he realizes that their relationship is not really built on anything except for that sort of mutual exploitation of each other. Right. And, it, you know, it would it would go along. I can see why now, why the director would have been so forceful about the ending, because the way that it ends as the theatrical ending makes it seem like there is um, a future. Yeah, there is a future with them or there is like a genuine relationship possibility there. Yeah. Whereas at, le- at you- least camaraderie between each other. Yeah. Yeah, whereas if you're watching this movie, I mean, from with any foot in reality, that's not that's not for, if you're watching it from reality point of view and not from the point of view of like literally every other romantic comedy, you know, like a pretty woman point of view, you're thinking there's no fucking way that these two people like there's there's no relationship there. Right. Like, you know, he she was scamming him. He was sleep they were using each other. Like there's that's not a relationship. That's not a real relationship. So I can see why the the kind of clicheness of the kind of rom commy ending that they did do, I can see why that would be uh, so 
um, negative. Upsetting, yeah. Upsetting to the director because clearly that's not what he intended. Yeah. I and was, it kind of it undercuts the whole thing if you think about it. It does. I, I was surprised that, like, I, I thought that they kind of mediated a little bit just by the lightheartedness of the Tom Cruise dialogue at the end. I agree that it, I think the, the original ending sounds like a better idea in a more realistic way. It's on YouTube. People can look at it. Um, it, it feels much darker because it doesn't end on that upbeat uh, type thing at the end, even though Tom Cruise is kind of, he is hitting the themes of it by being sarcastically talking about money with her, mm-hmm. but it's not the, she needs to be more upset by the end of what's gone on, I think, than she is at the very end there. And I think that the the director's cut ending is a better ending for that way. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you can check it out on YouTube, that ending. Uh, that's pretty much it. I think we'll wrap this one up. It's been uh, it's it's been an interesting movie to watch, I think. Um, I think that it was it's not anything like what I remembered. I'm not sure I've actually ever seen the movie all the way through because I remembered it much more as a rom-com comedy type story. Um, but I think that it's a interesting sort of very eighties take, uh, a cynical take on the eighties, I think, and on a lot of ways. And it's a nice little dark satire that eventually, uh, turns out interestingly, I think. And it's something worth, it's a movie worth thinking about, I suppose would be the best way to describe it. Yeah, it is. I I've seen it at least once before, but not for a long time, probably not in like 15 years or so. Um, so I don't, I didn't really remember. I remember liking it, but I didn't re- really remember much about it. Um, but yeah, it is, it is, it's a, it's a good, you know, now that I've kind of seen, seen what you were talking about, it is, it is a good undercut of that whole thing of, of, of the teen comedy. And it is a good satire of, uh, of, um, what turning into an adult kind of is like, I, there's, there's something really fun and 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 juvenile in the idea that you would just call up a prostitute and then they would just show up at your house. Yeah. Like like you leave a message on the phone and then they just drive an hour and a half to your house, like completely like it's very, it's very naive. It's a very naive, And it's almost like it, the fact that that happens fits with that section of the movie because that it it is all of that stuff is very naive uh, up, up to that point. Well, right. It's a no, no problems, right? Getting her there in the first place until they have sex and everything like that. She shows up alone. There's like everything goes perfectly for them. After that, however, all the sort of problems of it start popping up, right? Like she's got friends that are going to start coming over. The, he runs into the pimp and all that stuff. Like, he, yeah, it's the the switch of the childlike wonder of the whole situation turns into the realization of all, these are all the problems that stem from it as an adult that you get to realize and learn about. Um, and so I, I think it fits in uh, in that kind of way too. That's kind of a neat little twist for it. Yeah. And three years later, if they made this movie, there would have been a whole nother gigantic problem that they had to deal with given the, um, right. Of, the amount of uh, premarital sex that's happening in this movie. <laughs> that would have been that's, a much darker ending. <laughs> that's the, the original, original uh, director's cut there. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we're done with Tom Cruise. I put up the next one. What is it? Steven Spielberg. E.T. and Hook are the plus Ugh. and the negatives. I, you know what? I bet those are flipped than what I think they should be because not that I, not that I love. I think Hook is his pinnacle or anything, but I don't think <laughs> Hook is as bad as people make it out to be. But yep. I do not like E.T. Well, to be fair, I have only seen it once, very, very long ago, and I did not like it as a kid. And I feel like if I didn't like it as a kid, I'm not going to like it now. Yeah, I have a similar opinion of E.T. Actually, I. 
I, I haven't seen it recently or well enough to tell you everything that goes on in the movie, so I'm sure I'm missing something of it. But growing up, I always felt a little bit annoyed when people wanted to watch E.T. I remember yeah. that for some reason. And um, uh, how is that his highest rated movie? Well, the actual highest was just the re-release of Close Encounters, but the original theatrical release of Close Encounters was a little bit lower than it, so I decided to go with E.T. as the original, uh, the true rating to go by there. Like, how is how is Jaws not higher than E.T.? I think they're all, they're all 90-something percent. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, are they all within, like, a tenths of a point? Yeah, they're all, it's, it's honestly probably E.T. was 98 and Jaws would be 97, something like that. Like, they That's were very, very bullshit. close to each other. There's a lot of options there with Steven Spielberg. People didn't want to see Oliver Stone, I guess. For <laughs> Oliver Stone's that would movies be, were the weirdest. Yeah, that would be fascinating. If I had to guess, Oliver Stone movies, um, highest one, JFK? No. No? I'd, I had I had not heard of either of them. Really? And uh, James lowest, Woods. James it, Woods is in his highest. Oh, I don't know. The lowest is the lowest one, like Savages or whatever that one that came out a couple of years ago was. No, it's called The Hand with Michael Caine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that almost that doesn't even that doesn't really count. That's like his first movie he ever made. Yeah, I think I think it's his uh, second movie. It's a horror movie, right? Yeah. Or something? Yeah. yeah. What's and the his, highest? His one? highest rated is Salvatore. Oh yeah, he's like he's like a wartime photographer or something. Yeah, James Woods. that movie. I've never yeah. seen it, but I I think I remember seeing the the video box at the store and being just walking by like, oh nope. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, I guess the difference is yeah, Oliver Stone made the hand, and then his like next movie was the Salvatore, and that's when he started getting political in his movies, and so that wow, was the, so that uh, was his very next movie. I I don't know if it was very they're very close to each other in oh, terms of timeline, a, so it I'm, might have been or it might not have been. I'm surprised it's not Platoon. Because th- yeah, he won the Academy Award for that, I think, or somebody. Yeah, did. I, I would have thought it would have been Platoon, but it obviously it is not. Anyway, guys, check out all the uh, social media links. You can go to patreoncom file if you want to support the show. Uh, that's always much appreciated, and that's how you vote on the topics that we discuss. So if you're interested in doing that, you can become a patron on Patreon. Other than that, we get the uh, Captain Tier shoutouts. The highest level supporters on Patreon, Vincent Adultman, Stephen Cobb, Holly McLaughlin, Carrie Mobility, Doug Valcamp, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Vendler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Magpie Nest Productions, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tarek Latif. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. And thank are we you very doing, much. Uh, are we doing the non sequitur ending for this one too? Uh, we can if you if you come up with one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, there's, no, uh, there's no feeling more embarrassing in your life, I don't know if people out there have experienced this, than breaking a toilet seat. <laughs> were, you, were you in the throes of some horrible... Uh, some no, I, I, I guess it? it was just I guess it was just an old seat. It was kind of worn out, and then you know you know you're doing whatever, and then it just like snapped, and I was like, oh my god. I, well, are you, are, do you do you slam the toilet seat down? No. Okay. Nope. It's right, just well, you know I, shift your weight a certain way, and then it just you know snapped. And I was like, <laughs> oh god, that's really embarrassing. Because then you got to like explain, especially if you're living with somebody, you got to explain that. <laughs> and that's no fun because you know you feel bad about yourself, and then you know. Feel bad about the replacement process here, yeah. Yeah, and it's like if you you go to the store and you got to buy a new toilet seat, there's like 
there's like five things that could make you have to buy a new toilet seat and you get judged for all of them it's a disgusting replacement process too one of we have like the wing nuts on our toilet seat one oh, of them yeah. gets loose all the time you gotta like reach under there and grab this gunky yep. thing and just, <laughs> it's really yeah not that uh not that great of a replacement value i don't think uh let me see what would my non sequitur be i'm gonna be looking out um well, I, my uh, little nephew was visiting, and uh, Modi had sent me a uh, Star Trek game, and he also included a uh, Captain Picard doll. Oh, nice. And so uh, my cousin, or my nephew, my little nephew was playing with it, and he's just starting to learn, and his first word is uh, banana. And he came up, and he saw the doll, pointed at it, and said banana. So apparently Captain Picard looks like a banana to people. Come on, kid. He's not even wearing the yellow suit. <laughs> I told him to show some respect, and then I threw him out of the house. Yeah, I'll tell you. That kid sounds dumb. <laughs> well, Captain Captain Banana is uh, on his way. Clay's getting a new toilet seat, and we're going to be back with E.T. and what the hell was the other one? Hook. Those are the next two. Guys, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. My name is Joel Goodson. I deal in human fulfillment. I grossed over $8,000 in one night. Time of your life, huh, kid?